Welcome to episode 110 of the Muck Podcast, a member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Listen in as we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary. Hi. Hi. How are you? The world is going crazy. Uh, this is news? I know. <laughs> I mean... <gasps> I saw the funniest thing, and I don't, I'm sure that you saw it this week, but, um, so this thing came out in Miami, uh, the Florida Republican Party was going to old folks homes, right? Nursing homes. Have you seen this? I don't think I've seen this. Oh, this is fantastic. They were going to old folks homes, knocking on doors of voters. You know, you can go to the, any supervisor of elections office and get voter information. Right. And you can get somebody's name, their address, their phone number. They went to like the villages or something? How they're registered. Uh, So they went to whole, these, this like, it looks like Like an apartment building, but it's like a nursing home. Oh, okay. Like Century Village. they knocked on their doors and they said, hey, would you like to update your voter registration? And the person's like, okay. But what they didn't know is that the person who was updating the registration changed their party (gasps) affiliation. So lifelong Democrats, no! lifelong Democrats, and now they can't vote primaries. Were changed to <gasps> Republican Party. Is this illegal? Who's going to jail? It's not legal at all. It needs to be investigated, like right now. What? And the primaries are coming up. People are flipped. The these people are flipped the fuck out. Wow! And because this they got is- their new voter registration and it says Republican, and they're like, <gasps> oh, um, what? My God! Now it's there's a couple points here that I really want to oh make. Oh my God! The first one is this. Well. The first one is this. They're manipulating older people. <laughs> There's so many because of the last voter, the vo- last state legislation, uh, the session, they made voting harder here. Right. There used to be where you could put your your ballot in a drop box. Right. Like and I, you yeah. could just walk away like you got your vote by mail and you drop it off. Well, that's not allowed anymore. They, they took they're taking all the drop yeah. boxes away and you can only bring it to one drop box, which is at the supervisor, supervisor of elections during office. a certain time period. Too. Yes. And there's somebody and then some the supervisor of elections office has to have somebody manning that. Right. Has to be box. standing outside. OK. I think it'd be with an umbrella and in the it's, rain. Yeah. And it's very difficult, too, because. They have other people, work to do. But also people who don't have transportation. Yeah. Like a mail-in ballot is for people who can't leave their homes, right. who have to who work three or four jobs. And it's a, it's a convenient way to get people to vote. Right. Right. Which is what the point is. The point is that we get to have a voice. Yeah. And they're trying to suppress that. Right. So they changed those rules here in Florida. And another thing is we're about to do a voter registration training because we right. have to be a, to do that as part of the work that we do in, in the caucus that we're in. And one of the new rules that they tell us at this voter registration is as a third party who's registering voters. Right. Um it may not you get have there. to tell yeah. one of the rules is you have to tell the person you're like you go up to people like hey would you like to update your voter registration right. right you have to tell them like i just want you to know this might not get to the supervisor of elections office like we have to pre-warn them of our incompetence before we take and then their that's voter registration make people go well never yeah. mind then and if somebody said that to me i'd be like well then i don't I'll want do you to do this yeah, right you're right. gonna mess up my it's vote. another way to discourage people my god from updating their voter registration my god okay. So there's a lot of things happening here yeah. to keep people from voting in a free state where everything's there's never yeah. where where after the last yeah. election, DeSantis said it was the most perfect election process, which, yeah. by the way, for Florida, believe me, yes. it fucking was. It, it was. And Broward, where we always have problems, Joe Scott k- fucking killed it. Yes. And, and everything was great. So, like, I don't understand well, why this is happening. It's power and control. But here's my other roundabout point, which I really which is what when I read the article, I was like. Well, that's interesting because 
what that says to me now it's illegal what they're doing whoever's yes. knocking on these doors they have to sign those forms in you yeah. have to, i've dropped so off go forms. Fi- yeah go find go find when we were doing it. voter registration for women's march broward oh my god i would have to bring those forms I within remember. so many days you have to bring yes. them into the supervisor of yes. elections office you drop them off they count them they look at them yes. they're like okay this one's good this one's not whatever and you sign a thing saying here i dropped these off my name is signed in right so whoever dropped those forms off where they illegally they changed should be able this party, to easily trace this they're going to be able to find oh, it please send but somebody what to is jail. hilarious to me is this that the florida republican party you know they're they're right now have a record they're now out registering voters yes. more than democrats which is incredible yeah but they have a plan whether it's illegal or not they got together they're yes. <laughs> with their knucklehead the knuckleheads got together and, and they're was like, like this is where we need to target yeah here's what we can yeah. do right yeah and we're twiddling our thumbs. That's right. The Florida Dems have no plan. Like, <laughs> I read it and I go, well, they're, la, la. <laughs> I said, at least they're getting more voters. Yeah, like, give me I a don't break. Know. Give me a break. I, I'm so sick of the Florida Democratic Like the plan is, is horrible and it's disgusting and it's it's really taking advantage of people. Like these older folks, it's not fucking okay. Right. No, no, it's not okay. But, but, but my I'm, God. And I know like in Broward, there have been like these weekends of people going out, which is good. Mm-hmm. But, but we need more, we need a strategy and i wish that there was some strategy some plan like i would love to go to the brower dems meeting with and hear yeah. about a clear plan i can't even a believe you still go to those sh- meetings god I bless do. god bless you tina because i could not sit through one of those fucking meetings to save my goddamn <gasps> life fuck that so fuck that. anyway so, i thought that was a yeah. very interesting story and it's also cr- it's crazy it's crazy and and it's interesting but if this is something we we now know about, what is happening that we don't know? Like, what oh, is the party oh, doing that we oh, don't know? And what know? other people are they targeting? Yeah. My um, God. Here's another thing. I put a tweet out this week because the 15-week abortion ban oh, has God. passed yeah. a, a, one of the committees in the Senate. And the Senate majority leader uh, for the Dems is Senator Lauren Book, who I've right. talked about on here before. But anyway, this is where she comes in handy. My yeah. friend, my good friend, my good Judy, Lauren Book. Here's where she comes in handy. This girl, this beautiful lady, she comes in with amendments. So she tries, because of the 15-week abortion ban, what she tries to do is add amendments to, to the bill. To keep protecting To women. protect, yeah. to like, okay, here's this awful fucking bill, but right. she tried to add an amendment in the Senate with that like said, rape, hey, yeah. rape, incest, that's not, you can't stop a woman who, or a girl. Or a child. Who has been raped or, for the, or, or is from a victim of incest or rape. She should, this, this should not apply to her. Correct. This 15 week thing should not apply to her, right? Correct. She's been traumatized. Correct. Her body has been fucking attacked. Yes. So let's not fucking put a limit on when the fuck she can get rid of this disgusting fucking person's baby oh that's in fucking side of her. Yeah, fucking rip it, it well, out fetus. i don't care i'm saying baby i don't give a fuck <laughs> fetus baby get it the fuck out of my yes. body but she's been fucking traumatized for the rest of her life she yes. will be and now we're gonna further traumatize her yes. as a state of florida so she tries to add this amendment it doesn't fucking get added it doesn't no, get passed because they don't care about women they don't care about children all they care about is their little narrative that they are cultivating well it's very and upsetting it's, and, it's, and it's the small group of people that they want you know between that and um, I want to talk about some of the anti-education bills that are not only in Florida, but across mm-hmm. um, the state. This, this is an, att- this is, all, and it all comes, the, the common denominator yeah. is religion. Yes. The common denominator is religion. And I'm sorry, but enough already. Yeah. Enough. Get rid of everything. I'm Get f- rid of it. I'm fucking I don't over understand it. why 
it, religion has infiltrated every aspect of our lives mm. and we are not all Christian. Mm. It's insane. And I wanted that, that can't say gay bill. I wanted to talk about Nick Harris. Oh my God. Powerhouse. She gave this amazing speech. Um, amazing speech at this rally. Um, it was a safe schools rally. They gave out these shirts, these, um, it's okay to say, uh, gay shirts. And, um, she talked about, she said, I I don't want to quote her. Um, and she was quoting someone, but she says that we ask for your time, your treasure, your talent, and your testimony. And she said, this time we need all of it. It's not just one of those four things. We need everything. Give everything that you can because, it's like everyone's in danger and that, that don't say gay bill. They had children come up, kids from high school come up and talk about how important it is for them to feel safe. Yes. And the idea that if a child talks about something at school and then they can be outed to parents mm. who will put them through conversion therapy or some other thing and you're putting children's lives at risk that they could, you know, the suicide rate and things like that are high for these kids who are at risk, who don't have a safe place. What kind of people who are supposed to be Christian would put children at risk? You want to save babies, but there are living, breathing children who need help and support. Yeah. It's, 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 and, and, and the other, oh God, she just is so powerful. Oh my God. And I said to her, I go, please run for some, please. And we've said it before, like, I will jump on a train. Like, I I will follow her wherever she goes. She's incredible. Not only is that, let me say something else about Nikara. She's also incredibly kind. Like, I've never heard a bad word. Like, she's just so fucking good. She's a good person. She, she is exactly who we need she's fighting what we for us need. in Florida. She is what we need. Like I, I, I was just like, please, like, I, like I said, I, I went home. I told my husband, like, I, what, what, whatever, wherever the train is, throw me on the train. I'm going with her wherever oh she goes. Oh my god. So the other bills I wanted to talk about were, and I have them on a little note here because uh, I didn't type them out. But of course, we have the the don't say gay bill, the anti woke bill in Florida. Mm. Um, but then we have in Oklahoma. Uh, they, this guy, uh, Rob Stanridge, Republican put forward a bill that would, um, incur a $10,000 fine Mm. for anyone who talks it to teaches science that is, uh, contradicts someone's religious belief. So like if someone wants to believe that Adam rode on a dinosaur and the science class is talking about, you know, evolution that could, um, they said it's the religious belief protection act. Um, it could, you know, uh, bother that child and a fine. There could be people could sue, but there could be a fine in place on teaching. It's like science. What is that? Ha- and then we have know. Tennessee, that school board with the banning of the books. Yes. And then that crazy preacher burning books like in America. Like, it's like, do you not see like Nazi Germany when they're burning books? And like, this is where we are. I told my son, I said, every book that you see on a banned book list you go out and read, read every single one of them. Yeah. God, it's disgusting. Like this is like, it's, and I was like, is this indoctrinization? Like what, what is the purpose besides completely abolishing the public school system? Because in Florida, a lot of the people behind some of this stuff are the charter school system. Right. And so they have a vested interest in destroying the public schools because they want that money. Mm. You have that crazy Betsy DeVos who wanted private schools to be considered public, which I don't understand how that's even possible. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's, what are we going to do for kids who are in school and they cannot hear things about black history 
They cannot have anything LGBTQ stated. They can't read books. Like, they can't learn about Nazi Germany. Like, I don't understand. Like, what are we doing? Well, this that, is like a weird a, state control fascist re- regime. I retweeted something this week, and I, I'm so sorry that I can't remember this person's name. I, I'd look it up right now, but I'm lazy as fuck. But he's another <laughs> black state legislator, legislator in the House, and it was about the, the critical race theory bullshit. And he was like, I don't even... He's, if a teacher is asked a question at uh, teaching this yeah. in school, like they're, they're not going to be able to answer the question. Like, oh, I'm, what I'm, are teachers supposed yeah. to do? Well, and we're answering the question. that. I'm, guess that, what? When they pass that bill, guess what shirt I'm wearing to school the very next day? Guess what shirt? You're good. This is the shirt I'm wearing. They good. can throw me out. I don't care. Yeah. It, well, I'm glad you brought I that back. I need my insurance, because, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought it back to that because I was going to say that uh, when I was, we were discussing this in the trans inclusive uh, allies meeting about these bills. And I was thinking about, um, my, my daughter was taught, uh, by an openly gay man in sixth grade who became one of her favorite teachers ever. He's an incredible man, but he was very open about who he was, that he has a partner, blah, 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 blah. And it was a, it's, it's a positive gay man out at school. This is a role model for children. That person also who feels safe to be who he is would be put back in the closet it's, 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 with this bill. That's what we're doing. We're trying to go backwards. We have had what since the eighties slowly through the nineties, people coming out of the closet to be open in who they are, to be loved by their families and accepted. And now we're going Correct. to what take that back. And I, that's a, what we want to do as someone who's been in education almost 20 years in the high school level. I, have seen the shift too of kids being more comfortable being Tina, openly gay in the classroom that's the thing and it's a beautiful thing I, that's I the thing it. i said it's like when here I was are telling, all of my kids no. like, and now these same kids have to be afraid when i was telling my daughter right. about this bill she said uh kids they we don't care about this they don't they they're open about who they are yes like that's what see that's the thing the people making the laws are bigoted, homophobic pricks right. and religious lunatics. Yes. The children and who this is going to affect, this generation that's that's coming up that we are raising, they don't care about LGBTQ labels. No. They don't care. It, the, they talk they, openly Someone goes, about I'm it. gay, they talk I'm bi. About it. Yeah, they say, I'm gay, I'm bi. My, they go, okay, great. What yeah. are, you, are you eating peanut butter and jelly for yeah, lunch? Like, it's, nobody it's gives no, a fuck. It's, no, it's not a Thank thing. God. And Thank, that's yes. why... When this generation, the majority of this generation that feels that way, starts to come into power, they will back the shit. It's going to take another generation. And now, because now, now we're behind 20 years again. Yes, it's that's right. So dis- I, I, I don't even know. But we got to get into these stories. But okay. the last thing I'll say is this. We can't do anything unless we, don't, unless we win. So unless you want to go to some nursing homes and change some voter registrations this weekend, like we have to win. God, I'm thinking nursing homes too. Like how many of those people who might be suffering from, even if it's a slight dementia or other things where they aren't looking closely at the card that came in or, you know, it's not good. It is so, yeah, it's really, I mean, God, it's like, it's again, you want to protect children and we talk about, we want to protect our older who wants to harm an old person? And th- you're harming yeah. old people and children. Like what? This is your yeah, party? This is going to come back this up. This is your party. This is going to come back up. In, if you want to harm old people, go after Mitch McConnell first in that turkey Ooh. neck. <laughs> Dolly and shit. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Wait. Josh. Yeah, Josh. Josh. Where are you? Josh. Where's our drawings? <laughs> we need our drawings. Salvador Dolly McConnell. Oh, chin. my God. That's like the... the uh, 
<laughs> girl i also let me before you start your story i also want to say this my mom was like i went to the youtube channel oh and checked it out i was like oh uh-oh, god uh-oh. your Does daughter's like a it? fucking hot mess oh yeah except she said this i was watching it and i thought that can't be her christmas tree in the background <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i said to my husband this morning i, I almost said, took it down last night I'm just i said saying. my favorite part of youtube is seeing the christmas tree in the background it may, and he's like what i said he goes no 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 i said no it's the best thing ever i said it makes me so happy <laughs> and he's like you guys are yeah. nuts basically no i'm taking it down tomorrow i promise oh i almost took it down last night i feel like it's tradition now no but now i have my mom's voice in the like that can't be her christmas tree and i was like oh god mom i got busy she was like girl all right you are first okay yes all right today i'm gonna tell you the story of civil rights activist medgar evers (gasps) oh my god yes tina oh the story this story yes so good yes it's so terrible yes yes yes, but And then, okay, so Medgar Evers started his work as a civil rights activist in the 1950s and eventually became a leading figure in Mississippi. But when Evers is assassinated, his death ends up actually galvanizing the movement. And it's just this story is a terrible, upsetting story. Yes. Top to bottom. Yes. So our story takes place in Mississippi, which is like the deep South. Mm. And I got most of the background for this from the Medgar Evers College pages. So the Medgar Evers College has like all of this extensive background okay. on him. So I'm going to give you the highlights, but, you know, go check out the page. It'll be in our notes um, and you can read like the full bio and get a lot more details than I'm providing. But he was born in 1925 in Mississippi. And because he's in the South during Jim Crow and born at the height of the Klan's power, he faced and witnessed racism daily. Like, Mm. that was his life, right? And the college site notes that at just 12 years old, 12 years old, like like the age of our children, he, like, so a family friend ends up being lynched and um, the man's bloody clothing hung on a fence for all to see for more than a year. Jesus. And imagine like this is someone that is close to you and you have to look at that day after day for a year. So is for it, a year. Remember, and that why outlaw. That's yes, what it I was reminded say, me of. It you can't was, retake um, the clothes down because yeah. they'll come after you if yes, you take it's, the stuff it's, down. It's like this form of intimidation. Right. Um, and that was in episode 106, Why Outlaw. Yeah. So then as a teen, he witnessed these roving white gangs uh, patrolling the streets of his neighborhood. And they were looking for anyone black that they could harm or like run down with their cars. So here we are now, you know, as a child witnessing these acts of violence as a teenager being afraid and seeing off in the distance like that these white kids are and young adults are are you know moving as a pack to harm people and it's so funny because i know it's not funny but i know that they that they knew that they wouldn't get in trouble if they did some harm but if you knew you could get away with murder right right and and or or severely beating someone to almost to death or whatever 
would you go out and do it? Yeah. Like no. there's a psychopath kind of yeah. fucking way of thinking it's, where you're like, of course it is. It's also when you're in a pack, right? Like right. there's that, that pack that mentality. Mob, yeah, the mob mentality. That thing like when you're together and like, but if you were able, someone said you could, oh, murder's legal. You can go murder. Yeah. Would you be roaming looking no, for it? There's no. something fucking else well, wrong. You know, now that you're saying Maybe that. Maybe they're poor and like have not, you know, they're they're angry. Like, I don't know. I don't they're know. racist, obviously. They're, they're racist, obviously. But, but like, Jesus. I feel like the irony of it all is that you know that the, the the whites at the time using language that is dehumanizing when really they're the ones yes who lack humanity yes yes it's it's so gross and the trauma of this oh, existence is God. unfathomable like i you know i'm a white person yeah and like i cannot wrap my brain around like this day-to-day fear yeah. and growing up in a constant level of fear yes it, it's it's got it has to be traumatic and then that trauma is passed down and passed down it's just oh my god so um when the state of florida wants to put forward these anti-woke bills to prevent folks from being uncomfortable with stories like this i feel like too bad we need to be uncomfortable yeah we need to deal with it because guess what somebody's grandfather was in that roving gang that's right right somebody's great uncle some other relative is riding around carousing about in these white gangs and we need to acknowledge that and say look your grandfather was this person your uncle was that person and like you can have a choice to be like that or do something else Mm -hmm. but if you want to just hide away and pretend like none of this happened it's it doesn't like it doesn't make sense it doesn't Mm. make sense we 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 people are complicit and we're not moving forward as a country no they're getting elected and making (sighs) laws And it's just like, it's not about making some white kid feel terrible. Like that's not, it's not like that's the intention. Like we're going to go in and we want to make all the white kids feel bad. Like that's not what anyone is trying to do. But if someone feels bad and you're acknowledging the role of white action and white inaction, then you're learning something. You're you're learning empathy. Like I don't, I don't get it. My daughter talks about this in history and like, this is the things that white people did in a way that's like. This was a terrible thing that white people did. She doesn't feel guilty about it. She's like, yo, this is fucked. Yes. You know, we did fucked up things as white people. Yes. And we need to own that. Yeah. It's okay to say that and not, (laughs) and not feel like you owned a slave, but you have to acknowledge that that this this happened happened and it has been a wave that has has continued to roll for fucking hundreds of years. Yes. We're still so, killing black people in the kill- fucking streets. I mean, come on. Ahmaud Aubrey. They just fucking, thank God, found these people thank guilty. God. And people are shocked by that. Oh. Why are you shocked? They literally were a gang roving yes. the fucking streets. And it, then That literally just they, fucking they, happened they last the same, year. They did the same thing. And my favorite part is, I want to say, I want to say it's Missouri. I can't remember the state off the top of my head, but they have now, in reaction to the Arbery case and in reaction to, uh, uh, to Rittenhouse, mm-hmm. um, Missouri, I believe it's Missouri and I could be wrong in the state, um, is putting forward a bill that is sort of escalating a stand your ground <clears throat> where mm. in the past stand your ground, the onus mm-hmm. is on the person who has killed someone. The onus is on them to prove like this was self-defense. Now it's just like, it was self-defense and like the police can investigate whether it is, they can't be arrested it's like all of these additional protections to protect people like those assholes. Yeah. This is this is their reaction. Yeah. Instead of doing something We're legalizing else, instead of murder. trying to dismantle That's right. all of this. We're legalizing it. it. It's it's fucking Trayvon Martin. <sighs> Hunted and gunned, you know. A baby. Come on. Come on. 
So Evers ends up dropping out of high school, and despite growing up in an area surrounded by local racist whites, he wanted to still have a successful life, right? Like, he was like, I want to get out. But he did what a lot of people do to get out, and he joined the U.S. Army mm-hmm. along with his older brother, and he fought in World War II. Wow. And he he was placed in a segregated unit, but he did go, and he fought, and he was in France. And the site notes that many blacks uh, remained in France after the war because they were treated more equally. Yeah than in the States. But uh, they cite Evers as saying to his brother, quote, when we get out of the army, we're going to go straighten thing, this thing out. Mm. You know, like even from that age, he's like, okay, this is happening here. We're going to go fix things so that maybe things can be like that in the States, right? Why do people have to flee their country? Yeah, think about all the black writers who left oh, and went to Paris. Yeah, you know? the expats. I mean, yeah. it's... So he was honorably discharged um, from the army three years later. He went to college where he studied business and met and later married his wife, um, Merle Beasley in December 1951. So after his marriage, he moved to a town called Mound Bayou, Mississippi. Mm. And the utter destitution and lack of opportunity for blacks in this area upset him. So he ends up joining the NAACP because mm. he's like, I want to make a difference. And just what I love about this story and what I love about this guy is, you know, he had his degree he was like selling insurance, he was doing well, and he could have just continued to build a life for himself and like not think about other people who um, didn't have that opportunity that, that he was able to mm-hmm. forge for himself. Mm-hmm. But instead, he recognizes a problem and instead of just existing within the parameters of like these social constructs, he's like, I'm gonna do something to make a change. Mm. And I'm like, that. it's just fucking beautiful. Yeah. So- And he makes like this huge difference. He started the local NAACP chapters um, throughout his state. He organized boycotts of gas stations that refused service to blacks. And it's his ability to like organize that proves to be very powerful. And he was able to bring folks together and create this like consolidated front. Mm. And it's just incredible. Uh, National Geographic reported that in 1946, at just 21 years old, Evers wanted to vote. So he headed to uh, Decatur, Mississippi, uh, the courthouse there. And when he got there, he faced a mob of white men. Oh, God. Uh, National Geographic reported that many of them were guys that he grew up with. Oh, and they fuck. heard that he wanted to vote and they went there to stop them. They were armed and threatened him. And reflecting on the incident, Evers wrote in his autobiography, quote, I made up my mind that it would not be like that again. So again, like he goes in, he's trying to do something. He stopped and he's like, he doesn't let it shut him down. You know, he keeps going. I, I I don't know what that I, I don't know what that's like. No, I'm, I, I I've already given up. Ugh. I'd been like France. I'm here. Yeah, bye. Never going back. Like fuck, fuck that I, shit. I mean, he's incredible. So and he's young and he's just like, no, this is wrong. Mm. According to the college site in 1954, uh, you know, Brown uh, versus Board of Education outlawed segregation in schools. So Evers put uh, the new law to the test and he applies to the University of Mississippi Law School. Wow, and he is denied. National leaders of the NAACP were impressed with Evers' action um, through that, and they appointed him field secretary for Mississippi. So he's like moving up um, uh, in the NAACP and in in sort of these like political arenas to make change. And Evers, he's just incredible. So the NAACP writes that Evers' public investigations into two high-profile incidents garnered him more attention. 
The first was the lynching of the poor, innocent 14-year-old child, Emmett Till. Mm. And the other was the 1960 conviction of a black uh, civil rights activist, Clyde Kennard. So he was very vocal and just, you know, he pushes and pushes and pushes. And so this is giving him more attention and his activism just continues to grow. Yeah. He moves to Jackson, Mississippi, where he opened an NAACP office. He organized boycotts there. He helped James Meredith gain admission to the University of Mississippi. Nice. He also bailed out folks, organized marches and vigils, registered Mm. people, recruited folks to the cause. And Evers had this to say about remaining in Mississippi, according to the SNCC Legacy Project out of Duke University. Because again, he could leave, right? And but he says, quote, I am anchoring myself myself here for better or for worse. I hope better. But if worse comes, I'll be in the middle of it. Wow. Wow. Like, he's like, I am here for the fight. Let's go. It's incredible. Let's go. It's incredible. So Evers' activism continued, again, to garner that attention, both good and bad. So Mm. there are people that are like, oh, this guy's incredible. Like, he's going to be a leading figure in this movement. Like, he just, he has it. You know, like, not everybody has it. This guy has it. But he also became, you know, um, a target from... um, because he's in Mississippi, the Klan has its roots there, and mm. they are fully aware of him, and they're fully aware of the power that he is wielding oh, in this state. God. And, you know, white supremacists don't like folks trying to make change that could impact their power and authority. So as a result, Evers is under constant threat. Constant threat. So much so. Well, he already knows what that's like. That's yes. how he's lived his whole life. It's not different any right. different than how, when he was a kid. Well, it was, I mean, they had like an FBI detail, like with him all of the time wow. because he was always under threat and his home in 1963 was firebombed his home Fuck. his home and this it reminds me of that scene from from uh, michael corleone where he's like in my home where my yes. wife sleeps where my children come and play with their toys and like yes he's a gangster and this is not the same a, a correlation yes. but the idea of you're coming to my home where my family is yeah like it's one thing you want to have something with me but to, 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 to attack a home where there are children and other well, people in his yeah. family. That's the point though, right? That's is, the ultimate oh. fear. The ultimate fear is yeah, we're gonna the scare work you're that doing you're, and yeah. that your family's going to be in danger. That's and, right. And, and some people the will people say, okay, you love enough. the most. Right. right. Oh. It's like the worst of the villains of superheroes. You can't, superheroes. <laughs> yeah. And how cowardly. <laughs> Again, this how is a stupid cowardly. comparison, but like, you know, Spider-Man, they can't have loves because right. that's Everyone's exactly the villain's yes. going to go after, right? Yes. And that's what they know. They know that bombing an, uh, uh, the NAACP office isn't going to fucking really scare you. Right. But they're going to show you that they can kill your, your children. House. And this, it, this, this is his family. And again, it's cowardly. Like yeah. what kind of person does this to children? But it's even just... the desperation of the white, uh, this KKK of like, they're, they're, they're how, so how afraid. far they're willing to go. Right. And they're so afraid to of this protect one their power and not let another, someone who looks different than you yeah. have any sort of vo- voice really. You know, it's like they're, they're willing to murder for that. They're willing to murder. That's how they're willing serious to it is for them. And Evers, you know, he understood this risk and he, he, he dealt with it, but he also, according to National Geographic, they reported that he also had to train his children on what oh, to do Jesus. if they heard gunshots. And um, it was, quote, crawl to the bathroom on the floor, then hide in the bathtub. So, like, army crawl, yeah. you hear something, army crawl, you get in that tub, and, like, that's where you're safe. Like, that that they had to yeah. do this to their children yeah. to keep them safe. That's what we do with our children now in school. Here's what you yes. do if you hear a shooter. Yeah, go hide in the corner. Fuck. 
So the major incident, mm. the FBI website notes that on the night that JFK gave his address on civil, on, uh, civil rights, Evers returned home late after an NAACP meeting. And as I noted, he was constantly in danger. And the FBI website reported that around 1230 a.m. as Evers was walking toward his home, he was struck in the back by a bullet from an Enfield rifle. In the back. So a cowardly, in the like most from far cowardly away. way you can yeah. attack someone. From far away. And then after being struck, he like he's trying to like crawl and make his way to the front door. And his family is inside. So meanwhile, his wife and kids were still up after listening to JFK's speech. Like they stay up, they listen to this speech on civil rights. And then he's like shot, like, oh. So they heard the shot. And according to Evers' daughter, Rena, who was eight years old, this makes me like so oh, sad. I'm already crying. Like it's so <sighs> forget it. She and her brother, uh, brothers went into protection mode. They army crawled like their dad taught them. But then as reported by NPR, she said, quote, we stopped and ran down the steps and begged our father to get up. Like it's like, <sighs> like these babies had to see their father in that way. And it gets worse. It gets worse. So um, an article in The Witness reported that Evers' last words on the way to the hospital were, sit me up, turn me loose. Like, oh my God, like wanting to fight. Yeah. National Geographic article reports upon arriving at the hospital, he was turned away. What? Because it was an all white oh hospital. Oh my God, you're fucking kidding. No. They had to beg to have him admitted and then they finally do and he died a few hours later. Like, <laughs> this is a man who is like, do like, regardless if he's an activist or not, this is a human being who has been shot and like his family is like, please. And they're like, sorry, this is an all white hospital. Go somewhere else. What in the and fuck? Then, and then like, you're watching your loved one suffer and die and you have to then beg for people who are trained to save lives to help him. I, uh, I, I This like, this is like trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Like, how do you do that to people? How do you go to sleep at night? How do you exist? Because black people world. are less than them. They, they're animals almost. They, they don't <sighs> even think of them as equal as a human being. That's how they do it. They, they're okay with turning people away because uh, it, it's, <laughs> I, I, they're nothing and to then them. I, and I wonder, like, if they would have taken him right away, like, could that? And, like, I don't know, like, the severity of, like, you know, like, where the bullet struck. And I don't know those details. But, my God. My God. I hate everything. I, it's, I, it's, I, I, I hate, I, I just hate all of this, you know? It, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's all right. So, preventable. you could have stopped it from the first moment the shit the started. The other thing, the other thing that I couldn't get much information on is for whatever reason, the FBI detail was not present that night. I was going to say this. I was just going to ask that. Where the For fuck was that? For whatever reason. And like, there's never been like any like solid, like, oh, this happened. I could not find anything. But all I know is that they, for whatever reason, they were not present that night. So who did it? Uh, as Evers was struck, the rifleman who had shot him recoiled as well. And the FBI site explains that the kickback from the rifle shot slammed. So he's like, you know, like as a sniper, he's got the scope and it slams back and it, boom, hits him in the eye. And he kind of, he drops the weapon, drops the scope, boom, takes off. Oh. But he leaves behind a fingerprint okay. on the weapon. Okay. So after the FBI examines the evidence, a man named Byron Dela Beckwith emerges as the prime suspect. 
After further investigation, they learned that Dela Beckwith was asking around for Evers' address in the days leading up to the shooting. Um, and what's more, this guy was a known white supremacist and segregationist. So with all of this. Ding, ding, ding. And the nice bruising around his eye. Ugh. Right? It's clear that Dela Beckwith is the guy. So the charges. He is charged, of course, with first degree murder. He pled not guilty. And according to PBS, two white cops claim to have seen Dela Beckwith 60 miles away in Greenberg, Oh, Mississippi. fuck you. It couldn't have been him. Go fuck yourself. We saw him over here. We're upstanding police no. officers. Yeah, up your ass. Give me Piece a break. Of shit. So there were two trials in the 1960s. And Hillary... No. Dela Beckwith faced an all-white jury in, in this time period. So why don't you take a wild guess? Oh, yeah, he's walking free. Right? Free as a bird. Sure. Why not? Why so not? Not only that, but the Library of Congress article on Evers noted that the governor, the governor of Mississippi at the time and segregationist Ross Barnett shook his hand in the courtroom <gasps> in front of the jury, like showed up, shook this man's hand, like, you know, up, giving approval of him oh my in God. front of the, the jury. What is going on in around front here? of the jury. What is going on? In front on? of the jury. What is this? So one trial ended with a hung jury and the other ended as a mistrial. And this is why black history matters. Yeah. This is why we need to have these conversations because you have this. You have people who are biased, who lack empathy, who, who have no understanding a, of what people have suffered and gone through. And a justice and system you, and this that's is the 1960s. built on racism. 1960s. This is not that far yeah, long ago. Right. There are people sitting on that jury that could be in people's families. Yes. Sanctioning murder. Yes. It's the state of fucking Mississippi. And racism saying doesn't that just murder's disappear. Okay. And like the, the, the one thing like in that Florida bill the anti-woke bill, there's something in there that's like, um, you know, like when people say like, oh, I'm not racist, I'm not color, I'm, I'm colorblind. And you have to say, no, like that's not a thing. Like you can't say that. You're not allowed to say that. You're allowed, like, we're all colorblind this here. This is the free state of Florida. If we're, we're all colorblind. Like, it doesn't make any no. sense. Like, you can't, you, it's not colorblind. No. There are different cultures and people. That's right. Like, let's, you you're know, the whole celebrate the diversity thing. Come when on. When you say you're colorblind, what you're saying is you're ignoring, <gasps> you're ignoring the differences you're between the two of us. You're blind to it. You're blind to it. you're saying that racism doesn't exist. But, you know, we live in the free state of Florida, according to Governor DeSantis, where they're you actually- dictator DeSantis. Where the Republicans are writing legislation that will dictate how we're supposed to speak and how okay, we can yeah. say and say not what imagine? we can and cannot say but this is a free state yeah. right this is small government republicans we republicans gotta, better get on board and start really here. listening to the people they are voting for they like because otherwise you are right like i can't say it any other way if you are you have an r by your name and you're voting for these people you cannot say oh well i really like his policy on blah 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 if you're voting for him and all of these things are a result of that person you are a racist to full stop the end you're a racist if you didn't leave the party when fucking donald trump comes down an escalator to announce his fucking candidacy right and says that mexico is sending rapists and drug dealers right. here that was the most right. racist thing that donald trump said or that he from, can shoot someone in fifth avenue and still from get elected the fucking podium when he announced his presidency if you didn't leave the party then when he became your candidate yes. and got elected you're a fucking racist yes. you're a fucking racist full stop full God. fucking stop 
And if you didn't fucking come out as a moderate Republican who doesn't like Trump yes. and tell every fucking Republican you know that Trump was a racist and he shouldn't be the fucking president, then you're, you're a racist. If you didn't publicly state that, you're a racist. And you're complicit. That's it. You are responsible for where the fuck we are. Yes. A hundred percent. And fuck fucking Ron DeSantis. If that mother and this entire fucking Republican legislation that's in fucking Tallahassee. They're so. Fuck them all dangerous they're willing These to are fucking dangerous people they're sell dangerous us down people. the river they're willing to sell us down the river our uteruses black bodies children trans folks they're willing to fucking send us all down the river so they can sit in tallahassee and have power right and, fuck and, and you. make money and, and you know make what? money and let fuck the money everybody roll around you fuck everybody who says they love you fuck all of them too i'm yeah. sorry anybody who props these mother I'm spitting these motherfuckers up. <laughs> then fuck all of, of you. You work for these motherfuckers. Fuck you. Yes. You are one of these people. Fuck you. You're married to them and Ooh. don't tell them that they have small dicks. Then fuck you. <laughs> fuck all of you. Ditto. What I, she I said. I can't stand this. <laughs> no, it's 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 you crazy. Small dick. No fucking confidence <sighs> in yourself Ooh. to stand up and say I'm sorry. I you know I know Mike. I'm not the biggest Mike Pence fan, but this fucking prick gets up in front of a. The Liberty, I don't know what the, one of these oh. weird fucking conferences yesterday and says, Trump's wrong. Yeah. I well, never would have but, overturned but, this election. But guess what? A too little too late, Mike Absolutely. Pence. Too little too I, late. Because I totally you sat agree. behind him. I totally you, with that agree smirk, with you. To, talking to mother in the background. I totally agree with you. There's never going to be a forgiveness for Mike Pence. No. He sat and went along with all of this so he could have power, right? But he said something. He said yeah. something that he said Trump is wrong. Yeah. That's it. But guess what? Somebody people, has to start the, the fucking the, ball the, but, rolling. But the base of him, of the Trumpers, they already think that Pence is a douchebag. So, it, you know, like, Whatever. I feel like I don't know. Maybe it'll give somebody some Maybe. fucking balls around here. <sighs> Get some balls. You fucking snowflake pieces of shit. So one good thing happens through the decades later. And really that's thanks to the staunch support and dedication of Evers' wife. In the 1990s, the FBI page says that she begged and asked investigators to reopen the case and find new evidence, and they did. Ooh. This was the, the better part of the story. So National Geographic reported that the investigation found that the secret organization called the Mississippi State Sovereignty Commission, and this secret commission <laughs> was made up of, surprise, like white supremacists, but they worked with Dela Beckwith's defense team to screen out jurors who may be, quote, sympathetic to civil, civil rights. Mm. So that is jury tampering, which means, you know, like you have the whole, like you, uh, what is it, double jeopardy. But if they can find that that there was something wrong with that trial, then you can retry. Okay. So um, I just want to talk a little bit more about this Mississippi State Sovereignty Commission. The New York Times reported that this commission tracked all sorts of things about civil rights activists at mm. the time. Things like skin, this is uh, quoting from the article, quote, skin color, associations, religious beliefs, and sexual proclivities of the civil rights workers they tracked. They what? jotted down the license plate numbers of cars parked at civil rights meetings, peeked into bank accounts, informants, many of them black Mississippians, reported to the commission about plans for marches and boycotts. In some cases, the potential for using violence against civil rights workers is discussed in commission memorandums. So this like whole thing came out and they found all of this evidence that this was like an orchestrated effort to try to take down civil rights uh, activists and leaders in the community. Mm. And then they they got, unfortunately, like 
moles, I guess, with members of the black community too to go in, but it was primarily these white supremacists that were doing that. And the article notes that the commission reflected the desire of white supremacists in the state of Mississippi and other Southern states to keep segregation no matter what. Wow. That is their purpose and goal. Okay. So the investigation also revealed new witness testimony that included witnesses who testified to hearing Dela Beckwith boast about killing Evers. What? All of this led to a new indictment followed by a trial in the late 1900s, otherwise known as December 1994, you know, because we're old. Oh, yeah. In 1994, (laughs) Dela Beckwith was found guilty of murder. (gasps) Holy shit. 1994. So, I mean, it took 30 years, but his wife was like, we're going to still go after this guy. Wow. So supposedly, according to a PBS article, Dela Beckwith was as racist as ever and had this to say, quote, I'm proud of my enemies. They're every color but white, every creed but Christian. <gasps> Disgusting. How old was he at the time? Um, I want to say he was in like late 60s, early 70s. Jesus. Yeah. So according to PBS, he was sentenced to life in prison. And Life Magazine reported that when uh, Merle heard, I'm hoping I pronounced her name correctly, heard the verdict, she said, yes, Medgar. Oh, baby. Oh, oh my God. I know, like the love. So the aftermath, uh, Evers was gi- given uh, full military honors at his funeral. And I found, ugh, like, this. there's this, there's photos from the funeral. Mm. And it is Evers' wife and his young nine-year-old and the grief of, and she's comforting this baby. And it's just, I just keep imagining like the good that he could, like what could he have done? Yeah. What could he have continued to do in the world? Yeah. And what he could have accomplished Like what have we lost? We've lost so much. You know how one person can just like, just make this ripple effect through the world and it, it was taken away. Yep. He was buried at Arlington National Cemetery and um, protested breakout uh, at his funeral pr- procession. Mm. So some points of interest. I want to talk, you know, I talked a lot about Evers, but I wanted to note that his wife, Merle, played a strong role in his life and in the movement. And according to the Medgar Evers College site, she made contributions to the movement as, quote, a helpmate, researcher for speeches, hostess, chauffeur, and musician. And she even served as the first chairwoman of the NAACP from 1995 to 1998. Amazing. Um, she was received at the White House by JFK and Bobby Kennedy, mm. uh, attended Evers' funeral. And JFK also wrote to her after Medgar's death. And he says, quote, I extend to you and your children my sincerest condolences on the tragic death of your husband. Although comforting thoughts are difficult at times like this, surely there can be some solace in the realization of the justice of the cause for which your husband gave his life. Mm. Achievement of the goals he did so much to promote will enable his children and the generations to follow to share fully and equally in the benefits and advantages our nation has to offer. Wow. Wow. And then like shortly after, like he gets killed. Yeah, his brother gets killed. So a lot of articles talk about the shirt Evers was wearing the night that he got shot and that he was holding on to as well. Um, he was walking in with shirts and they said, Jim Crow must go. Oh my gosh. And several um, articles. I know. And several articles note that his death was the catalyst um, for the 1963 March on Washington. In Jackson, Mississippi, a naval ammunition ship and the International Airport bear his name. Mm. And his house has been turned into a national monument, according to National wow. Geographic. Dela Beckwith died in prison in 2001. But get this. Prick. Prior to prior to his retrial, this jerk actually tried to run for a lieutenant governor at one time. 
And thankfully he failed. Can you imagine this murderer? I just, I can't, I don't understand the confidence of white men. I don't either. I, the confidence, I, the, 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 what's it called? Uh, that, that the husband, I don't know. No, like, no, there's like something. a, there's like a, um. A, a delusion. Yeah. The delusion oh, yeah. of delu- it all. They're deluded. He's yes. a fucking murderer. He's a murderer. But he's going to run. I mean, Thank it's God incredible. He Thank God he lost. The Clarion uh, Ledger reported that one of De La Beckwith's sons claims that his father was innocent and that the killer is still at large. Oh, In the same fu- article, fuck you. Um, Merle Edgar's, Ed Evers's wife states that she believes, quote, more than Byron De La Beckwith was involved in my husband's assassination. Oh, totally. So she understands, like, okay, like, he's he's the, the person that they got to do this. And yeah. there was, uh, you know, this orchestrated effort. Yeah. Um, but she also said she didn't know if De La Beckwith's son imagined all of this or not. You know, she's like, look, you know, it is what it is. So the NAACP noted that songs were written regarding this tragedy. Mm. Bob Dylan's Only a Pawn in Their Game. Um, there was another singer-songwriter who wrote uh, Too Many Martyrs and Another Country. The movie The Ghost of Mississippi reenacts the 1994 trial of De La Beckwith. Mm. Nina Simone's uh, Mississippi Goddamn. Yes. Writer James Baldwin's uh, I Am Not Your Negro addresses the loss of Evers along with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And there's also a statue of him on the campus of Alcorn State University, a historically black university in Mississippi. And the thing that I found interesting is this connection to... Strom Thurmond, Mm. you did last week. So here we have this pivotal leader in the civil rights movement shot dead, assassinated by a white supremacist in Mississippi. The same night that JFK gives that speech, putting forward what would become the civil rights legislation. Mm. And then you have this jerk off uh, Thurmond hold that filibuster. You know, we have this leader has been killed. We have, you know, a president trying to do something. And this guy continued to suggest that there isn't a problem with race in America. And we're right here again. We're with the, all the voter suppression bills, the anti-LGBTQ bills, the revisionist history bills. We're trapped in a cycle of hate and fear in this country. And the small political base is loud and they vote. And we might have more people, but it doesn't mean shit if everyone's sitting on their fucking couches on election day because it doesn't impact them directly. And it's like that poem, that, that poem, and I quoted it here, and you know that poem, Then They Came For Me, right? And it's, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade, union, trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And when people, like all these Democrats, and these liberals and moderates were like, well, I don't, you know, I don't talk politics. Politics don't impact me. Like your apathy is even worse than the people who are voting these Republicans in because at least they have something they're believing in, right? But the apathy well, they're using and your, their voice. They're and using your, their and right your to privilege vote. to sit and not give a shit to me is more disgusting at times because you think that it's wrong, but you can't do anything to change it. And that to me is terrible. So all of you get, get out there and do something. All right. All right Tina, That's the story. Uh, this, this episode the, is I'm sorry. Of the assassination emotional. of civil rights activist Medgar I mean, Evers. I was crying before we turned on the microphones. I've been crying on the microphone. I know. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a rough episode, but here we are in, in Black History Month. What, that should be every month of the year, right? And we relegate it to the shortest month of the year. 
I, I don't even know. I don't even know. And, and, and it's, it just is awful. I just wish I didn't have to, I wish I didn't care about any of this too. There's parts of time yeah. where I'm just like, I want to be one of those people. I want those people. I want to be one of those people who's like, eh. all right, I'll vote. Who's running for president? Yeah, I literally, and every I literally other had this conversation <laughs> with a friend of mine who's like, oh, where he's now into the podcast because it's on YouTube. He's like, where's the other episodes? I'm like, no, 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 we just started doing it. And he's like, do you only talk about politics? And I was like, well, yeah. Hello, I'm like, yes. that's what the podcast <laughs> is about. And I said, but you know, whatever. And he was like, I said, why you not into politics? He's like, well, you know, I just see who's running for president. He literally said that, and I was like. Okay, well, here's all of the reasons, like, why you should really be into these other things. They yes. directly impact you, these leaders, oh, these state leaders. God. And he's like, yeah, it's just not my thing. Sorry. Well, oh, that's nice. And he's a sweetheart. And yeah. I, if you watch this, I'm sorry, but I'm going to blast you for a second. But also, We're not naming names. Also, like, dude, white passing, like, I don't know. It'd be good if you maybe paid attention because they want to take abortion off the table, bro. Yeah. Like... I don't know. They're hurting. How women. do you feel about that? They're they're hurting. Every, they're um, hurting everyone. One of my children could be LGBTQ, and they're going to put him back in the closet. How do you feel about that? Yeah, your drinking water isn't clean. How do you feel about that? Um, your roads aren't going to be. I mean, there's our health care, your taxes, your unemployment. Oh my god! Everything you do is based on these people who are on that ballot. Yeah. So. How about we start fucking paying attention to I that? Know. Because I'm tired. I, I'm, I'm tired from just even thinking about it. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this. I, I, all those years doing that work, it doesn't make me want to do it more. I want out. Yes. I want out. I want out. Is when are, my time is are. up on the dolphins, on the dolphin Democrats, I'm done. That's it, Tina. I'm <gasps> doing the podcast and that is it, my <sighs> friend. And you will carry the torch oh, and God. have a good time, but I can't do it anymore. I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work and it's draining work and- and I and again, if we had a party, God, please hear me. The gods in heaven or universe, whatever. Yes. If we had a Florida Democratic Party and a Broward Democratic Party that actually had a that fucking galvanized plan us, that galvanized and had money us. and had an idea of how the fuck we can switch, flip these seats in the next ten years, maybe I could get behind a plan. Show me something. Show me some the fucking way. What's the way? Show me the way. They don't have a fucking There's plan. no way. So you want me to give up my time, treasure, talent? I know. To a party that has is going to take it all from me and give me nothing in return? There's nothing that we're getting <sighs> in return, Tina. And I these know. these these candidates who have won and flip seats, it's the candidate. Yeah. It's not the party. It's the candidate that fucking does that. Yes. And then they get to Tallahassee and they're not given the support and that they're they not need. supported. They're not supported. So I am drowning in bad legisla legislation. I'm drowning in despair and hopelessness in this fucking state. And there's no, but nobody's coming to help no us. No one is coming. We are under the fucking dictatorship of Ron DeSantis and his fucking minions yeah. who don't believe in him. They don't believe no. in him. They don't believe in this legislation. But they believe in the money that but he can bring But they vote for it and they want to hold on to power and fuck you. Money, 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 fuck money. You. That's it. Yeah. So I am sorry. It, you know, this story is devastating because it's the same as it's always been. Yeah. Nothing's same changing. Same as it ever was. Nothing's changing. It's completely horrible. I, I, I don't know. Let me start my fucking story because at least it's a little bit, you know, I don't fucking know anymore. Girl. All right. I, ha I'm, I know. I'm sorry. 
We have to talk about it, though. No, we do. All right. I'm going to tell you about the petticoat affair. Oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to plug my computer in. I want a petticoat. Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm Jamie. We're Married with Television, MarriedWithTV.com. We are a couple of Hollywood normies on the outskirts of the film and TV industry, and we talk about our favorite TV shows, music, and movies, and sometimes they talk back to us. Sometimes they do. Our podcast is Married with Television, one word, on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Possibly Amazon soon. And we are a proud member of the Odd Pods Media Network. Married with TV. MarriedWithTV.com. All right, so petty this coat. was, and when I say petty, I mean P-E-T-T-Y, oh, bitch, because these ladies dang. are petty, and I saw a whole thing about the, they called them the uh, the real housewives of the White House, like oh, they were like these no. petty ass bitches. God. I mean, All right, well, this is the story we need to close oh, this. We do, because. <laughs> petty ass bitches. Uh, I'm writing it down. Yes. Okay, so. Uh, the petticoat affair was a political scandal involving members of An- President Andrew Jackson's cabinet and, oh the, and their God. wives from 1829 all right, that says it to 1831. That says it all right there. Yeah. So remember last week uh, during the Strom Thurmond, I mentioned he went to um, he went to uh, Clemson and he he was in this like literary club, the Calhoun Literary yes. Club. And I was like, Calhoun sounds like a racist ass name. Well, I looked him up. Well, it turns out <laughs> <laughs> he, no was he was a bit of a racist. No surprise He was a bit of a racist. No So this scandal, this affair was led by Fluoride, Fluoride Calhoun, which is his wife. Fluoride. Fluoride. I'm saying wow. Fluoride. Maybe it's Fluoride. Fluoride. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Apple bottom jeans. Boots with the fur. Everybody was looking at her. She got the flow. That's the clip, okay. Tina. That's the singing clip this week. <laughs> <laughs> so Flo Ride Calhoun, wife of Vice President John C. Calhoun, these uh these women dubbed the petticoats were socially uh, socially ostracized Secretary of War John Eaton and his wife Peggy Eaton over disapprovals of the circumstances surrounding their marriage and what they deemed her failure to meet the moral standards of a cabinet wife. Oh God. What, so, she opened her mouth? Right. So the this affair rattled the entire Jackson administration and eventually led to the resignation of all but one <gasps> of his cabinet members. This is Ooh. how fucking shady the shit gets, right? Wow. So the ordeal facilitated Martin Van Buren's rise to the presidency and was in part responsible for Vice President Calhoun's transformation from a nationwide political figure with presidential aspirations into a sectional leader of the southern states. So he Ooh. basically gets booted. So a little bit about, about Margaret Peggy Eaton. She was the eldest daughter of William O'Neill, owner of the Franklin House, a boarding house in tavern located in washington dc a short distance from the white house that was well known as a social hub popular with politicians and military officials right okay so that's where they yes everybody hangs out there yeah people stay so yeah yeah so she worked there you know and she was a well-educated woman for the era she studied french and was well and was known for her ability to play the piano william t barry who later served as postmaster general wrote quote of peggy quote of a charming little girl who very frequently plays the piano and and entertains us with her agreeable songs end quote 
Oh, God. That's as a, annoying. As a young girl, her reputation had already begun to come under scrutiny because of her employment in a bar, frequented by men, as well as her casual bantering with the boarding house's Ooh, clientele. Right? I like her. She's a little bit feisty. I love this. She likes to have a good time, Why right? not? Listen, it is her parents' place. You know, she worked there. She talked yes. to the customers. What she's she seeing some cute people. Yeah. She's like, hey, yeah, here she's I playing am. The she's singing. Francais. Hey. Yeah. What is that? Do you speak French? No, I was going to no. say, oh, 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 I never moi. can say it. Uh, say, 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 yeah. say moi. Say <laughs> moi. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds better in the song. Yes. So in her later years, Peggy reminisced saying, quote, while I was still in pantalettes and rolling hoops Ooh. with other girls, I had the attention of men, young and old, enough to turn a girl's head. And oh, quote. hi. So she was like, hey, bitch. Hey. Look at me with my little, hi. what did she say? Her little her pantalettes oh, and, pantalette. and ring hoop skirts. <gasps> can I have a pantalette? What is <laughs> yeah. that? Is that like? Uh, writing pants like what I, is don't, a I don't know I were don't they know. wearing pants then i don't think so a pantalette yeah maybe i have no idea bring it back so yeah <laughs> can we just bring i want to wear just you know cover me bring, head to toe you know who could bring a uh, that taylor dory i bet you she could make a cute Ooh, pantalette she makes the cutest clothes yes. and every time she does a drop it's gone before i, I can know. buy something she could ha- i bet you she taylor would dory a- go look her up on instagram she's yes. uh baref- i mean uh bluebird's wife yes amazing fashion designer oh, uh, incredible so um, cute so fucking cute so when Peggy was 15 years old, her father intervened to prevent her to attempt to elope with an army officer. Oh. And in 1816, when she was 17 years old, Peggy married John B. Timberlake, a purser in the United States Navy. Oh. And he was Justin Timberlake's great-great-grandfather. Nuh-uh. <laughs> Don't tell no, me that. I'm just kidding. I was like, what? So He said, bye, bye, bye. So, okay, so she's a little, she's a little. Yeah, because by the way, he's 39 years old. Okay? Ew. Uh, no. Okay. No. Yeah, he's 39. So he's age 39, and he had a reputation of being a bit of a drunk, and he was heavily in debt, and she's 17. Well, and he's traveling around in the Navy. Yeah. So the couple became acquainted with John Eaton in 1818, and at the time, Eaton was a wealthy 28-year-old widower, because, like, everybody fucking dies then. I feel like everybody's a widower. Tuberculosis is everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the newly elected U.S. He was a newly elected U.S. Senator from Tennessee, oh. despite not having reached the constitutional mandated minimum age of 30, because he's a longtime friend of Andrew Jackson. Oh, God. <laughs> OK, so I was like, oh, here's this young guy that she can canoodle with while yes. the husband's away on the well, on that's the Navy, what happens, on the Navy ship. Yeah. But he's with Andrew Jackson, so ew. Yeah, he's a bit, you know. So once Timberlake told Eaton of his financial troubles, Eaton unsuccessfully attempted to have the Senate pass legislation that would uh, authorize payments of debts by that Timberlake had and others that were in the naval service, right? Like they come back from serving and they have all this debt. Like we should help take care of this debt. What's all the debt coming from? Like I don't they, know. But he's like gambling. You know yeah, I mean? he's you know carousing. I mean? yeah. So eventually Eaton paid off Timberlake's debts. Like they, oh. they become friends. He pays off his debts and he procured Ooh, him. Does a, he, does he use his wife as payment? Oh my God, Tina. Jesus. I mean, I'm like, is she like, is that what in his mind? He's like, Oh, let I'll me get through the out. story. Let okay. me get through and okay. you'll, you'll find out what happens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so he pays off these debts and he procures him a lucrative posting in the U S Navy's Mediterranean squad, which of course makes people start thinking like, Oh, Eaton did this to get Timberlake out of the way yes. so that he could hit on Peggy, Woo! right? So these rumors are now sweat going and he's, around. He's, he's 28, so he's like 10 years younger than the husband. Yes. He's so, widowed. But while Timberlake's gone, he dies. <gasps> he dies oh. April 2nd, 1828 on this Mediterranean squadron, right? Oh, well, and, these, okay. and then, of course, this fuels those rumors again in Washington that, you know, Eaton 
dies. They said that Timberlake died of like a broken heart. Oh, because my of Peggy God. And, and John Eaton it's running all around that together booze and traveling. Hello, that he's doing. yes, because the medical examiners concluded Timberlake had died of pneumonia brought on by a pulmonary disease. Like yeah. this man is not taking care of himself. <laughs> he had a problem. Okay. Oh my God. So, um, so then Andrew Jackson's elected president in 1828, and his term begins March 4th, 1829. And he was reportedly very fond of Peggy Timberlake, who had, he encouraged his friend, John Eaton, go on and hit that, oh, right? Like, God. come on, like, lock it down, right? Oh, and eventually they get together, and they were wed on January 1st, okay, 1829. Well, widows, only so nine months after her husband's death. Well, but okay. they're both widows. But, so wait, how old is she now? Like, barely 20. Yes. But... You know, customarily, it would have been considered proper for her marriage to, for to have a longer mourning period before you get married, right? So you, know, you already have these women who don't like you. You're young. Yeah. You're, you're in running the bar. around. You're playing the piano, like doing yeah, your you're thing. You're in the bar. You're 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 trying to get in with this John Eaton, who people apparently respected. You know, people liked him. He's a friend of the president, and your husband dies. Like this is all not yeah. good for poor Peggy, right? And so, I, and I then mean, she marries him quickly after, I, I'm right? I'm on Team Peggy's side. Uh, me too. So, um, historian John F. Marzalek explains his opinion on the real reasons Washington society found Peggy unacceptable. And this is a little long, but Ooh. I thought it was very good. And, sorry. It says, quote, she did not know her place. She <gasps> forthrightly spoke up about anything that came to her mind, even topics of which women were supposed to be ignorant. She thrust herself into the world in a manner inappropriate for a woman, except her, and society was in danger of disruption, except this uncouth, impure, forward, worldly <gasps> woman, and the wall of virtue and morality would be breached, and society would have no further defenses against the forces of frightening change. This is how he's saying the women wow. were thinking, right? Margaret Eaton was not that important in herself. It was what she represented that constituted the threat. Proper women had no choice. They had to prevent her acceptance into society as part of their defense of that society's morality, end mm -mm. quote. Right? So that, Breach that wall, yeah, girl. Oh, larger, that wall. Yeah, it's a larger part picture here, right? Yeah. It's not just that it's she's yes. just it's like if we accept her, what does that then, say? And about then, all, then all these society. other women are gonna, gonna be throwing yeah. themselves at our men and yes. are gonna be talking out of turn and yes. dear God. Yeah. So um when Jackson assumed the presidency, he appointed John Eaton as Secretary of War, right? So now he's in the cabinet. Yeah. He's got well. his what young wife, right? And fluoride or Floride, Floride probably, Calhoun, the second lady of the United States, oh, you know, her husband's God. the vice president, led the wives of other Washington political figures, mostly those of Jackson's cabinet members, in an anti-Peggy coalition. What? Which served to shun the Eatons socially and publicly, which was a big wow. deal at the time. Yeah, like You don't want to get shunned. Yeah. Okay, because uh, you're out, you're out. So the women refused to pay courtesy <gasps> calls to the Eatons at their home and to receive them as visitors and denied them invitations to parties and other social events. That's and so Emily, mean. This is like the origin of Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Yeah. Emily Donaldson, the niece of Andrew Jackson's wife, late wife, Rachel Donaldson, um, and was the wife of Jackson's adopted son and confidant, Andrew Jackson Donaldson, served as Jackson's surrogate first lady, right? So Andrew Jackson's wife dies oh. shortly after he's elected. And um, and so this woman steps yeah. in as like the hostess of the White House, right? Because right? they have to have like these yeah. events and parties and, and a she, man can't do yes, it. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so she sided with the Calhoun people with this fluoride, which led Jackson to replace her with his daughter-in-law, Sarah York Jackson, as his official hostess. Because Jackson's not having any of this bullshit. Good. He's like, fuck these women, right? Yes. And so, not, and he's a terrible person. Andrew yes. Jackson's a fucking horrible racist horrible. human being. Like, like devastated indigenous people in this country. But- in this situation, he's like fighting for right. 
Peggy, right? And um, the Secretary of State, um, Martin Van Buren, was a widower and the only unmarried member of the cabinet. And he raised himself in Jackson's esteem by aligning with the Eatons, okay? Okay. So Van Buren's on their side. So Jackson's sympathy for the Eatons stemmed in part from his late wife, Rachel, being the subject of innuendo during the presidential campaign Uh, when questions arose as to whether her first marriage had been legally ended before she married Jackson. So she had gone through this. Yeah, so he's like, I know what this is about. That's right. And he's like, These women are trash. They're yes. just petty, yes. petticoat junction yes. biatches. Yes. <laughs> Coat oh junction biatches. <laughs> Either way, it's going to say bitches in our title today. Ooh. So Jackson believed these attacks were the cause of Rachel's death on December 22nd, 1828, several weeks after his election to presidency. So he thinks this like the depression, stress. like she just fucking like gave up. And it's, I mean, I could imagine that. Anyone being isolated or shunned, yeah. that's a hard thing to go yeah. through. And if people talking about you behind your back all She's the time. She's the president's like, fucking yeah. wife, the president of the yeah. United States. And she but they can't don't fucking care. Win. Those mean girls they don't, don't give care. a fuck. Um, empowers and everything in that they? town. Like, who are they to just pass their judgment on these women? I don't it's, know. Like, women, like, this is... This is the thing, like women, we just need to support women. And from way back when we have this catty bullshit. Yeah, but the power in that city is like, it's and it's transactional, right? And it's like who you know and who you're hanging out with and all of that. And these women at that time, that society, that that was a... That's that's their life. That's a thing. That's their life. Um, So Eaton's entry into a high profile cabinet post helped intensify the opposition of Miss Calhoun's group. Right. So people are like, go fuck yourself. This woman, this man is in the cabinet and his wife, it's his wife. Like you shouldn't be fucking doing this to her. And in addition, Vice President Calhoun had was becoming the focal point of opposition to Jackson. So now the vice president and the president are opposing on very important issues and, and the so wives it's just are making not it worse along. yeah you know yeah so Cal helping the cause right and and his the vice president's the cause supporters. is a bad cause though so maybe this was a good thing yeah Calhoun's supporters opposed a second term for Jackson because they wanted Calhoun to be the vice president right and in addition Jackson favored and Calhoun opposed the protective tariff that came to be known as the tariff of abominations oh. so the U.S. tariffs on important go- imported goods generally favored northern industries by limiting competition but southerners oppose them because because the tariffs raise the price of finished goods but not the raw materials that were produced in the south okay so the materials are down there they're, they're getting, getting extra taxes cheap. and tariffs yeah. on it and they're the south is providing it it goes to the north they're paying all those tariffs goes to the north and they're paying less because they're producing it right that good like let's say they make a dresser out of all the wood they got from the right. south right like so it's like they're you know they're like it's two, not fair it's not yeah. fair and jackson is a southerner but he's also the president and yeah. so he's got to like oversee everything not just favoring the south right which Calhoun was like, let's go south. So the dispute over the tariff led to the nullification crisis of 1832 with Southerners, including Calhoun, arguing that states could refuse to obey federal laws to which they objected, even to the point of secession from the Union, while Jackson vowed to prevent secession and and preserve the Union at any cost. Of course, this is the same thing we hear today. I mean, Texas is always like, I'm leaving. I know. Get Get the fuck out. Then get out. Get out. You don't fucking like it. Then get the fuck out. We're going to succeed succeed. whiny babies like with their threats with empty threats no who needs you i know get the what is that i mean what is texas giving us okay please Uh, uh, by the way another rolling blackout this winter yeah they just had another rolling blackout remember i covered that last year yeah and we don't in the freezing people are freezing the fuck to death in their houses and we don't need your oil oh please 
So uh, because Calhoun was the most visible opponent of the Jackson administration, Jackson felt that Calhoun and other anti-Jackson officials were fanning the flames of the Peggy Eaton controversy in an attempt to gain political leverage. Um, It gets into this whole thing, which I've read several times and I'm not really going to get into, but basically... There was a an invasion in Florida. It was a it was a Seminole Wars, eighteen eighteen, oh. and and Jackson what led that invasion. So something happened there, and Calhoun was also there, and they were supposed to send letters, or something didn't get sent, and Calhoun basically throws Jackson under the bus during this whole controversy. Okay. Like he should have done X Y Z, and he didn't do it, and so Jackson, of course, fucking flips out, and he's like, "How could you throw me under the bus like that?" Right. Like it's just getting worse and worse and so worse. So the right? tensions are rising. Between yes, and, them. It, and things are getting printed in the paper, and it's it just like conspiracy theories. It just enrages the president, and he's like, "Fuck all of this. I'm done with this." Right? Like, fuck Calhoun. So the dispute was finally resolved when Van Buren offered to resign, giving Jackson the opportunity to reorganize his cabinet by asking for the resignations of the anti-Eaton cabinet members. Ooh. So Postmaster General William T. Barry was the lone cabinet member to stay. You know, the the, the guy's like, I'm just trying to deliver the fucking yeah, mail around here. Yeah. I got people going out west on horses with fucking bags yeah, of letters. I don't care about the drama. <laughs> yeah. And um, he... Um, and so he eventually, and Eaton eventually received a different appointment that took him away from Washington at first as governor of Florida territory and then as minister to Spain. And on June 17th, the day before Eaton formally resigned, a story appeared in the Telegraph stating that it had been, quote, proven that the families of Ingham, these are cabinet members, Ingham Branch and Attorney General John Berrien had refused to associate with Mr. Eaton. So oh, Eaton no. reads this uh. and he's like, these motherfuckers, right? So he writes a letter to all three men demanding that they answer for this article. And Ingham sent back a contemptuous letter stating that while he was not the source of the article, the information was fucking true. Oh, right? dang. And so then on June 18th, Eaton challenged Ingham to a duel, duel. <laughs> through Eaton's brother-in-law, Dr. Oh, Philip and um he visited ingham twice and he the second time he threatened him with personal harm if he did not comply with eaton's demands and randolph was dismissed and the next morning ingham sent a note to eaton discourteously declining the invitation and describing the situation as one of quote pity and contempt which eaton's like don't you fucking pity me motherfucker right let's go (laughs) so eaton wrote a letter sword get your pistol (laughs) so eaton then writes another letter to ingham accusing him of cowardice and then ingham was then informed that eaton Randolph and others were looking to assault him. So he reported that the next two nights, Eaton and his men continued to lurk about his dwelling and threaten him like he couldn't leave the house. And then he left. Somehow he gets out. He leaves the city. He returns to his home, wherever that was. Right. And he communicated to Jackson. Ingham sent a message to Jackson, the president. He's he's telling him what happened. And so Jackson asked Eaton to explain himself. And Eaton admitted that he, quote, passed by the place where Ingham was was just walking by. (laughs) He said, I, but at no point did I attempt to enter or besiege him end quote oh, so the on. aftermath in 1832 jackson nominated van buren as minister to great britain and calhoun killed the nomination with a tie-breaking vote like it was still uh, happening all this stuff and calhoun so only made drama yeah and then however Cal, you know he only made van buren the seem the victim of petty politics which were rooted in this eaton controversy right it's, and that made people feel bad for van buren <gasps> Which then raised Van Buren up oh, in like political no. society and in Jackson's esteem. So Van Buren then succeeded Calhoun as the vice president when Jackson, Bye, Calhoun. yeah, Jackson wins his second term in 1832, and he's like, "Oh, Van Buren, come on, come on with me, right?" So he then makes Van Buren the de facto heir to the presidency, who succeeded Jackson in 1837. Like wow. all of this had an effect Just on because that. Yeah, these women are bitches. Yes, yes, yes. 
Oh my God. You know, like the, incredible? the, 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 uh, Calhoun must've been like, damn it, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't you just had her over for tea one yeah. time? Just, just fucking once. sit there and stare just at have her. Some Give her the stink guy. Give her like that fucking stink uh, guy, but just let her come over. So oh Calhoun God. of course resigns as vice president shortly before the end of his term. And he returns to, with his wife to South Carolina, which are where our friend, uh, Strom Thurmond uh. is from. And he's quickly elected to the U S Senate. He returns to Washington, not as a national leader with presidential prospects, but as a regional leader who argued in favor of states rights uh. and the expansion of expansion of slavery. God, it's just states all just, right states right state uh, that's another word of saying i'm in favor um, of slavery yeah, yeah that's yeah so in regard to the petticoat affair jackson jackson later remarked quote i would rather have live have live vermin on my back than the tongue of one of these washington women on my reputation oh dang these women yeah. are hard this is the president like don't i don't even, I, that i'm not even scared of like quote. another country i'm scared of the women in this fucking city that is the best quote <laughs> yeah wow so to jackson peggy eaton was just another one of many wronged women whom over his lifetime he had known and defended and he believed that every woman he had defended in his life including her had been the victim of ulterior motives so that political enemies could bring him down damn yeah so here's something damn. else a little bit of a wrap-up on peggy which i found very sad but it was like i have to i can't even i was watching a youtube video about her and this the, the guy who's doing this this whole history thing about her he says this thing at the end and i'm like what the fuck i, I was like no peggy oh, so no. three years after the death of her second husband uh, john eaton margaret eaton married antonio gabrielle Bucanani. Oh, okay. I hope I'm saying that right. He's an Italian. He's Italian. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's an Italian. He teaches now he has Now he has a good, now, now, now she has a good marriage, a good food. Whoa. Oh, Tina, don't be so soon, Tina. I'm so sorry to have oh, to tell no. you that this whole, this man, he's not that very good man, no. Tina. I'm oh, so God sorry. damn, these so, Italians. He was probably incredibly fucking handsome. You know, Italian men, Tina. Yes. Fuck. Ooh. So, an Italian music he was an Italian music teacher and dancing master oh. on June 7th they Ooh. got married on June 7th 1859 she was 59 and he was in his mid-20s hi, hi. red hi. flags wait a minute I'm Peggy. sorry but a, tan a dancing master to me is a red flag too I know he could probably but fuck but you don't want him hanging around like this is not to be 59 back then and get this young boy bitch N nice little Italian Hello. boy come so on so the marriage of course reignites these this social stigma on Margaret that she had carried her entire oh, life because she could get like some now, young honey yes, and none of you old babies can get anything eight, in your petticoats Tina, that's a controversy today this is 1859 <laughs> like if I were to start banging an early, someone in their early 20s people would be like Hillary's fucking out of her Ooh. mind she's crazy but I'd be like what's up yes. but no she, I, but 1859 let's go Peggy okay so, but here's the thing. Oh, no. So in 1866. Did he scam her? Was he some kind of scam yes. artist? In 1866, the seventh year of their marriage, Bukanani ran off to Europe with the bulk of his her fortune. <gasps> as well as, hold on to it, her 17-year-old granddaughter, <gasps> Emily no! E. Randolph. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that's got to hurt. This granddaughter is a bit oh. of a fucking traitor, if yeah. you ask me. <laughs> well, she's living it up in Italy. She's got a bunch of money. So young he ends up marrying this granddaughter <gasps> after he and Margaret divorced in 1869. What? And although Margaret Eaton obtained a divorce from Bucanani, she was not able to recover her financial standing. Oh, because she's a woman and it belongs and to him. And she dies <gasps> in poverty. No! In Washington, D.C. And, and the granddaughter's living it up in Italy. Can't even send her any damn nothing? Wow. This bitch. 
Wow. And your enemies are in the house. They're the closest wow. ones to you. She so she dies in poverty of Washington on Washington in Washington, DC on November 8th, 19, 1879, and she was buried at Oak Hill Cemetery. And my last bit, because we gotta wrap this up, we gotta do a little muck, is that there was a movie made about this oh. in nineteen thirty-six. It was what? called the Gorgeous Hussy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a fictional account of Betty Petticoat, Petticoat Affair. No. And you, like, the, I gorgeous, read the Gorgeous, gorgeous Hussy. And there's a movie poster, which I have in our in our pictures this week. Um, I read the whole like plot of the movie. Oh and it's God. like it, all the same characters. It's like in and out. But it's like these men come in and out of her life. And it's like she's with this guy, but he dies. And he's with this guy. She loves this guy, but he dies at war. And it's like it's like a roller coaster. But I, I would love of to all see how they portray her. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, you've got 30s. to see this. It's incredible. But she was beautiful. Like they have a painting of her on a cigar box. Like somebody used her image. She was fucking stunning. And you know, you look at some of those paintings, you're like, eh. yeah. And you should see it fluoride. I got a picture of her too. She looks like a nun. Like she's all covered up. Oh, like that's this. why. And this that's one's why. like this gorgeous hussy. Yeah. Like, Yo, bitch, Listen, here's me on the piano. You know what? To it's better to be it a gorgeous hussy than an old bitty like that one. I mean, they couldn't take it. Look at her living so the her movie, life. Yeah. So the movie features Joan Crawford as Peggy <gasps> O'Neill. Robert. <laughs> yeah. Robert Taylor. Is John Timberlake, Lionel Barrymore as Andrew oh Jackson, my God. and Franchot Tone as John Eaton. Wow. Yeah. I know Lionel Barrymore, and I know, yeah. of course, Joan Crawford. Yeah. Wow. Incredible, right? Wow. I know. So that's just the petticoat affair, my love. Oh, my God. <laughs> the ending. I know. Oh, she got bamboozled. Oh, my Bamboozled God. by what? Bugatelli? What was Buka, it? Bukanani? Bukanani. Bamboozled by Bugatti. That's not right. Bamboozled. Oh God damn it! I'm writing it down. Bamboozled <laughs> by Bugatti. Oh my God. Yeah. What a what a story. I know. What a story. But even so, it was funny because the but, video was like the Real Housewives of what right. the White House. And I but was it's like, just this is interesting so that I wonder if some of the men, yeah, also played like you said, like played yeah. this role of like whispering in their wife's ear, like. We need you. Social standing and, is a and, thing. And some of those ladies yeah. are like, I can be a bitch. Yes. Like, whatever. Like, I but don't give a shit. But this is also what it was like during, like, the Tudor era. And they're probably era. older. And they yeah. probably just are resentful of this young, beautiful girl. Yeah. And Which, Eaton, he's 28. He's a, a senator way, way before he's supposed oh to be. Oh, my God. You know? Let them live their lives. <sighs> no. God. It's all about power. And you're standing. <sighs> like I was saying, like, in the Tudor era of, like, Oh, I just want to, like, run around with a petticoat. Yeah, I would like to run around in petticoat. I just feel like it would be like, yeah. Maybe but fun. did they have? Oh, maybe the little pantaloons. I think it's the long the, underwears. Like, that That's what I was thinking too. I was thinking that too. <gasps> and a hoop skirt. I'm here for a fucking. Oh hoop skirt, my god. Bitch. Okay, so this is our next Josh. Yes. Um, cartoon something cute of us in petticoats. Love it. <gasps> Love it. Love it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to go because yes. we are going to record a little muck that will come yes. out on February 11th on We're Friday. Very And it's going to be with our good friend, Emmanuel George. He's back again. Back again. Because he has so many amazing things and he's got a documentary coming yes. out the February 18th and I think also the 25th or the 24th. Yeah. And that you can see here in Broward County and it's documenting the history of uh, Attucks Middle School and all of the, the black community, the historic black community in South Florida. It's amazing. So we're going to talk to him about that and everything he's working on. He's so amazing. I, yes. I just can't wait to talk to him. We are late. We've got to call him. Yes. So, Emmanuel George, pick up the phone. We're about to call. And goodbye, everybody. See you next yes. week. Yes. See you next week. Bye. Bye. 
If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do this without you.